Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. So I just decided we are going to start a series. And the series is on spiritual warfare, which I think is really important that we know what that means. But I'm going to call this series The Devil and the Details. You might be familiar with the term the devil's in the details, but actually the devil doesn't want you to look too far into the details. See, the devil would love for you to think a mile wide and an inch deep. He would love for you to just see some mild form of opposition and to stop you from thinking any further. But I have this, this sense, I have this feeling that if we really begin to think through everything and the opposition that you're facing, you might discover that what you thought was a significant opposition to you and to your life, that it's not, a, it's not all that it appears to be. And in fact, you're going to see your way completely through that opposition. And so um, we're going to begin that tonight. And uh, I'm, I'm going to start here. Um, I don't know what you wanted to be uh, when you grew up, I don't know if you had a, a strong picture in your mind about what you wanted to do when you grew up. Uh, for me, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. As far back as I can remember, I thought that one day I would just be a millionaire. This is not the job for that, okay? And, and, and so I thought I would just be a millionaire, and I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I imagined spending my money. And, and, you know, and things began to take shape and I thought, oh, okay, well, the, then you need to work for that. All right, well, what kind of job would I want to do? And I started to think about what I'd like to do. And when I was a kid, I just used to wear a, um, like a jet fighter pilot uniform. And I had it and I loved it. And as soon as I wore it, it would go into the wash. And when it came out, put it on again, you know. And I would always wear it to church on Sunday. I don't know why I wore it to church, but it was like, I want to be a jet fighter pilot. Turns out you need mathematics for that. So I thought, nah. And so anyway, uh, uh, I thought that's not the thing for me. And I would start to think, well, hey, what do I really want to be? And, and I went through these different phases. And, I, and I've told people this before, but I remember for a period of time in my life, what I wanted to be was a squishy bus driver. And so I think grammar really matters here. And so when I say squishy bus driver, I don't mean a squishy bus driver, but I mean a squishy bus driver. I don't know if you've seen the squishy bus. Have you seen a squishy bus? Do you know the bus I'm talking about? It like comes in two pieces, but the middle is joined by this rubber thing that's squishy. And, and, and so, have you seen those? They're so cool, right? So being a kid, I took a ride in one once, and I thought, this is the coolest thing I've ever been in. Why would I not want to do this every single day? And so I thought, for, for a period of time, I was like, I want to be a squishy bus driver. And so then, like, you know, I, I sort of got to high school, and I guess I let that go. And, and, and as I started to try to p- apply myself at school, I just thought it would be great one day to end up with, like, a job. And, and so I, d- I didn't, still didn't know what I wanted to do, but, but, it, but getting a job would be, would be a great start for my future. And I guess I had no clarity about what I wanted to do because I had no vision for my life. I didn't know where I wanted to be, so it's really difficult to work towards that. And I think that vision is so important for us as we're moving forwards. I, I don't know if you've ever had a vision for your life. And when I say a vision, I really mean a preferred picture of where you want to be, you know? It's just you see a picture of where you want to be and you know that you're not right there now and you don't have to have all the details in the middle, but there is some sense 
of where you're heading, some sense of, of direction. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever had that, but I think it's really important. And maybe for some of you tonight, some of you are still young, but you've got vision for where you want to be. Some of you are a little bit older and you're not where you thought you would be. And I come across this so often in church. In fact, I went through a stack of prayer cards on Tuesday for people that were writing down, this is not where I want to be. This is not what I saw happening. I didn't anticipate struggling with this problem. I didn't think that uh, what I'd be praying for at this point in my life was going to be to have children. I didn't think that what I'd be praying for at this point in my life was to not have my kids on drugs. I didn't think that I'd be praying for at this time in my life not to, to just have a happy marriage, you know? And, and, and what started good it, it has not gone the way that you thought it would be. A lot of people have vision for where they want to be and have discovered through time that they are not exactly where they want to be. Now, I think vision's important, and I'll tell you why, because it's the language of the Spirit of God. The Bible says that in the last days, and we're there now, everybody, it says the last days that God will pour out His Spirit on people and He will pour it out and give them dreams and He'll give them visions. And so oftentimes when God will communicate to us, He will speak to us through a dream and He'll speak to us through a vision. You, get a, you see a picture of where you want to be and God speaks to you in that picture. Have you ever heard that, that, that phrase, a picture paints a thousand words? Sometimes God will just give you an image of where He wants you to be. And that's how He communicates it to you. So vision is important if that's the mode of communication that God chooses to use a lot of the time. And the devil's job and what he really focuses on is to stop you from ever reaching that vision, to stop that plane before it even gets on the runway. So I'm going to preach a message tonight, and, and if you're into titles, I'm just going to call this message, It's War. So I don't know what your thoughts are about God, and I don't know what your thoughts are about the devil, but I think if we're going to speak about spiritual things, we should probably define the terms so we, we're on the same page. We know what we're talking about. So I don't know what you think of when you picture God, but, but I know that for, for me, and, and, and maybe, maybe for you too, is that when we think about what does God really look like? What is He? Well, I, I don't know what His face looks like, but He's often sitting in a chair and it's humongous. And I don't know why. And He's absolutely wearing a toga. And I still don't know why. And I've never seen His face, but I can see His feet. And I don't know if He's clean shaved, but I think He's got a beard. And I don't know why, but we have these images of like, oh, what is God really like? Well, the truth is, is that we don't really know exactly what God looks like, but we know a, he a heap of things about God because He says so in His Word. So let me tell you how the Bible describes God. This might be more helpful for us. He is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. Everything you've ever seen has been made and has been created by Him. He exists outside of time and space. We, if you're a Christian and you believe in God, we are what you would call monotheists. So we believe one God in three parts. And those three parts are described as Father, Son, and, and Spirit, you know? And, and so He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing and He is everywhere, all at the same time. And so now I'm just describing really what His attributes are, but I think it's important to know who He is. Like, that's great that He's all of those things, 
but how does he feel about you? Because that's where the rubber hits the road. Well, the Bible says this about God. It says that God is love. And not that he knows how to love because that would mean that it existed somewhere else. Maybe he discovered it, but it says he is love. I can tell you something about the God that we worship and the God that we serve is that he absolutely loves people. And maybe if you're new to church, you don't come to church very often. Maybe your idea of God is that he has this constant scowl on his face where he's just a little bit irritated by your problems. Like, you know, you, you already know you're not perfect. And sometimes you think about, I don't know if I would go to God, but, but if I would, I feel like he'd be kind of maybe angry or disappointed. But the scripture doesn't say this at all. In fact, if you want to know what the scripture says, it says that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and whoever would believe in His Son, I'm talking about Jesus tonight. I'm talking about Jesus dying on the cross to put Him in a position to be able to forgive people for their imperfections. It says that He loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to the cross. And whoever would believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins would never perish, but that they would have eternal life. That is what we call the gospel. And the gospel message is a message to the world that says God completely loves people. He died for us before we were perfect. By the way, just a news flash for everybody tonight. You're never going to obtain perfection. You're never going to get there. And it's so good to know that God doesn't love you based on whether you're good or whether you're not. He just loves you because that's who He is. Am I painting a good picture about the kind of God that we, that we know? Okay, so you've got to know that God loves you. All right, well, let's talk about the devil for a minute. I don't know uh, what you think of when you think of the devil, but I'm pretty sure he's red. And uh, depending on what, what, what you've been brought up with or what you envision, he also has a tail. That's weird, you know? And maybe, I don't know, like pointy ears or something. He has black hair. And, uh, and a goatee, a well-manicured goatee. And, 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 and we don't know why. And, and here's the weird, weirdest thing at all. He has a pitchfork. Why would the devil need a pitchfork? No one knows, but he's got one, Right? Well, the Bible doesn't say any of that stuff about him, but somehow people have created an image about him, right? Let me tell you something about the devil. First of all, if you need a church, good, because you need to hear this. The devil is actually real. And so if you don't know that, there's a lot that you're about to miss. But the devil is real. Not only is he real, but he is a created being. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He is not everywhere at the same time. In fact, the devil can only be in one place at one time. So, you know, like I, sometimes I speak to people and they say, it was the devil, it was the devil. It was the, he, he came back to me again and again. I'm like, are you kidding me? There's like nearly 8 billion people on the planet. And how come he visits you every weekend? Like he's got nothing better to do, you know? Trust me, he's, not, he's probably not that focused on you, you know? Uh, so anyway, he can only be in one place in one time. That's what he's like. He's not almighty. Here's what he is. He is crafty. He's sneaky. If you don't believe in him, point made. He is crafty. He is sneaky. He is the father of lies. He, he lies consistently. And, and, and this next part is very important. He hates God and he hates you. And he hates you because you're created in the image of God and because God loves you. And he hates what God loves. And he wants to hurt God. And if hurting you hurts God, then he would love to do that. See, see, the thing that we need to understand about how you were made and created and designed is you are what we would call imago Dei. You are created in the image of God. What does that mean? 
Well, the Bible says that, the, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and you are body, soul, and spirit. So He is a triune being. You are created in the image of God. You are a triune being. And the enemy of your soul, being the devil, would love to destroy you because you're created in the image of God. Now, so many times at different points in our lives, we encounter opposition. It's very easy in those moments of opposition to think, wow, that was unlucky. Wow, that was just chance. Wow, I didn't think that that would happen, you know. But after a while, sometimes you realize that there is more than meets the eye. There is more spiritually that's going on than you first recognized or anticipated. In fact, it could be very true for you that if you're encountering multiple levels of uh, 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 opposition, that in fact what is happening is you are having some spiritual opposition to what you're trying to do. It is simply coming through different mediums so that you don't discern its origin. Here's what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, when I say flesh and blood, I mean physical things that are, you know, it's our wrestle is not always with other people. Sometimes you think your wrestle is with other people because they said something that was dumb, but your wrestle isn't necessarily with them. It's with what's spiritually going on in their life. The writer says this Paul says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In other words, he's saying that, guys, this is a spiritual world and there is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And if you don't know this or don't recognize it, it's hard to prepare for a battle that you don't even acknowledge or realize is even going on. Let me tell you something about the kingdom of darkness. Number one is that the devil can only be in one place at one time, but he's organized and he's great with delegation. So he distributes authority to different cosmic powers and darkness and demons and other things to try to ruin the lives of, of people. And they're smart, they're, they're organized, they're strategic, they're focused, and they have a goal. And their goal is to destroy God's plan. And God works out His plans on planet Earth through His people. Remember that. So God will often put His plans and purposes through us. And so He communicates that in vision. Here's what you need to know. If the devil can destroy your vision, he's attempting to destroy God's plan for you in your life. You understand why vision is so important. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to tell you a story about one guy that was encountering spiritual opposition, but perhaps didn't necessarily realize it at the beginning. And I want to give you five levels of opposition. That's all. Just five levels of opposition that you will encounter at some point in your life. Some of you, maybe many of you, are encountering these things tonight. Some of you maybe have more than one of these things going on at any point in time. But I'll promise you this. You will experience at least one of these if you're a follower of Jesus, you will experience one of these at some point in your life. So I'll tell you about a story about a guy called Nehemiah. Let me, let me bring you up to speed with Nehemiah in case you're new in church and you have no idea who he is. This is a story that takes place in the Old Testament. There's an entire book devoted to this guy called Nehemiah. At this point in Israel's history, they've been taken off into exile. The reason that they're in exile is they made a series of bad decisions. And they, I, I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it again. You're free to make any choices you make. You're not free from the consequences of the choices you make. So here they are, and they're dealing with the consequences of the choices that they've made, and now they're in exile. And this guy named Nehemiah has been born into this lifestyle. He serves a king called Artaxerxes, 
and he is a cupbearer to the king, which puts him in close proximity. Nehemiah is uh, having a conversation with a person one day who comes to him and says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Upon hearing this, Nehemiah is absolutely cut to the core of his being. It says that he couldn't even hold himself together. He, he, was, he was crying and, and, and breaking down. Here's what's weird about this. It wasn't like this was new information. In fact, the, 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 the Jerusalem had been broken down and the gates had been burned for over a century. He grew up knowing that that was the case. So I don't know why on this particular occasion it captures his attention, but I often find it to be true that when you start to go over things you already thought were true, but see them in a new way, in a fresh way, sometimes that's God opening your eyes and revealing something to you that you already knew, but now you suddenly recognize that God wants you to do something about it. So Jer- I mean, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, he, he, he sees this, this situation that's already existed, but suddenly it grieves him. So much so that he's in the presence of the king and, and he's a cupbearer to the king. And let me just explain a couple of rules about serving the king, King Artaxerxes. If he was ever sad or, 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 or depressed, you know, and in the presence of the king, the king could kill him for just bringing down the atmosphere and the mood in the room. So I guess Nehemiah most of the time was a, was a pretty happy guy. But on this particular occasion, after hearing all of this information, about Jerusalem and suddenly realizing that things were not as they should be and things should be different. What's that? That's what we call vision. Vision is where you suddenly recognize this should look different. This should be different. The reason you see it as vision is you're comparing it to something else. Otherwise, just leave it the same. You say, this isn't right. It should look more like this. That's vision. And so he says it should be different. It should be changed. So he's, he's depressed. He's in the presence of the king. The king, rather than killing him, says to him, Nehemiah, what is the problem? And he tells him the problem. And then the grace and the favor of God is all over Nehemiah. And the king grants him permission and authority to begin to investigate this situation. God's beginning to speak and make provision for him. I want to make a really important point tonight is that vision attracts opposition. Some of you have great vision. That's awesome. But when you have great vision, especially if it's God that's speaking, it's going to attract sometimes some opposition. Just because God gives you a vision doesn't mean that it's always smooth sailing all the way. You're not just going to coast into the end zone and feel comfortable the whole way as you do it. And this opposition came through two people. You can read about this in Nehemiah 2.10, but it comes through two people called Sanballat and Tobiah. And these guys were angry that someone was interested in the welfare of Israel. When he discovered that they were going to rebuild the walls, he was mad. I read that and I thought, what do you care, Sanballat? What do you care, Tobiah? What is, it, what is, the, what is the big deal to you if someone cares about the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. See, some people just don't like to see other people do well in life. Some people just don't like to see you succeed. They get upset when they see other people succeeding. This happens a bit in our culture. 
Sam Bell and Tobiah might have been the first Australians ever. We don't, we don't know really, but, but you know, we have this issue in our country called tall poppy where somebody starts to do well in life and then other people get around them and just try to humble them, you know, bring them down to planet Earth, just ground them. Do me a favor. If you're ever thinking about just grounding someone, don't. You're probably just going to end up kind of like these guys, you know? Okay, so maybe the, you might have something worth listening to. But for the most part, if you're always trying to cut people down and just bring them down to another level, it's, it's not always a good idea. That's exactly what Sam Bell and Tobiah were doing. And, and, and so anyway, I don't know if you've heard this saying, but sometimes in church we say this thing where we say, new, le- new levels attract new devils. What it really means is, is that as you begin to move forwards in terms of, uh, of the vision that God has for your life, as you start to move forwards, there are increasing levels of opposition designed and intended to stop you from taking ground and taking territory that the enemy doesn't want to give up. Are you with me so far tonight? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you five of these tonight. Number one, I'm going to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged because he's got problems. And he jeered at the Jews. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of a harsh jeering. Has anybody ever felt jeered against? I don't know, but I assume it to be unpleasant. And Sanballat jeered at the Jews. And you know what he was saying? He started to really attack them and say things personally against them. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to read this, but he starts name calling them and he was angry that they were starting to build the walls. And he said, you are feeble Jews, feeble Jews. I I, I thought that is so interesting. I like the word feeble, like in terms of don't have the capacity, don't have the power, don't have the ability, don't have the stuff to make anything happen. And he wasn't just saying it against one person. He says, the entire nation is feeble. Really? The entire nation? All of them? What, the, what, the, the, they're all stupid? That they all can't figure it out? That none of them have skills? They've got no leadership in the entire nation? Really? Are, are you sure? I don't think so. But he starts trying to say things against them. You know what that is? That's an attack on their identity as people. Hey, you Jewish people. You were slaves. You have been born slaves. You'll continue to remain slaves. Don't even think about starting to get up from this place and starting to carry your life forward. You know what the first level of opposition is? It's disempowering. It's disempowering. In other words, let's not even let this plane get off the runway. Let's not even get it onto the runway. Don't even think about, you know, wheeling it out there. Just forget it. Just give up and just quit right now. It's funny this because sometimes when people are deciding that they're going to make a change in their life, they have the counsel of people around them that isn't necessarily helpful, not to mention the thoughts that begin to go through their minds. For example, there are any number of reasons why you might believe that there's no reason why you can do what God's called you to. It sounds kind of like this if it was in your mind. I'm too, what, skinny? Uh, I'm not smart enough. Uh, I'm not clever enough. I'm not, I don't have the skills. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the ability. I'm, I'm, I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too whatever you want it to be. It's amazing how people fill their imaginations with all the things that they can't be. 
this is what's incredible to me. I told you that God was all-powerful. Amen? I told you that God was all-knowing and that He's everywhere at once. Now, here's the thing. God has never made a mistake ever on planet Earth. He, he, he's never made a mistake until He called you. How embarrassing for Him. He didn't realize that you didn't have the stuff. He didn't know this is so awkward for God. Imagine making His first mistake on your calling. Or could it be that He knew that when He called you in the first place? See, I told you that the devil wants you to think a mile wide and an inch deep. Because what he really wants you to think is the devil comes to people and he says, hey, you don't have the stuff. And that actually is true. And if that's where you stop thinking, you haven't thought your way through. Hang on, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right, devil. I actually don't have the stuff. But I already know that. I knew I didn't have the capacity to make this dream a reality. I knew I didn't have all the skills, but God qualifies the called. So I'm not so concerned about whether I've got everything in me that I need to do what, you've, what God's called me to. I completely plan on trusting and relying on God to give me everything I need so that that thing that God spoke to me about becomes a reality. See, the moment God calls you and you think it's all on you, if you were to take that call, put it on your own back and carry it and say, well, I guess it's up to me from now on. Boy, are you in for a shock. You're not supposed to do it on your own. Everything that God has called you to do will require His help anyway. So rather than lean into your own insecurities or the opinions of other people that don't see it the way that God sees it, why don't you just lean on Him? Well, Nehemiah's got to make a decision. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? People are saying stuff about him. You ever had people say stuff about you? Disempowering things about you? I don't know if you've, you've ever had that. Has anybody got a social media account? Has anybody decided to put up a thought on Facebook ever? Or, or whatever you use? Like, it, then you probably experienced this, right? Well, Nehemiah has to make a decision. They're saying stuff about him. And you know what he does? He ignores it. Yes. What a brilliant strategy. What a brilliant strategy for today's day and age. You don't actually have to reply to everyone that says something about you. Okay. Um, people are going to say things about you that are not true. It doesn't always require your full attention. Because if you're constantly fighting against all the thoughts and opinions of people whose opinions really don't matter. Remember, it's God's opinion about you that matters. As long as your identity is Him, you're going to be okay. But if you're busy fighting all of those battles, how are you supposed to build the thing that God gave to you? So in Nehemiah, he's like, well, I, I can't even really respond to that because I'm really busy building a wall. What does he do? He just keeps building the wall. First, first level of opposition you get is disempowering, disempowerment. Number two, read chapters Four verses two to three. It says, and he said, and when I say he, it means Sanballat. He said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burnt ones of that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, 
And he said, yes, what they are building. Now listen to this for a, a harsh insult, right? Whoa, stings. If a fox goes up on the wall, he'll break down their stone wall. Ouch. <laughs> They're trying to build a wall to keep out invading armies. And the big insult from, from these smart guys is if a small animal runs over it, just whips it with his tail, right? The bricks could come apart. In, in other words, look at what you're building. It looks terrible. You're not even good at it. Just quit. You're, I see you trying, but you should just know that this is a rubbish looking wall. You don't know how to stack a brick. Just quit right now. Second level of opposition, discouragement. Never underestimate the power of discouragement in your life. The number one reason why pastors quit all around the world, discouragement. Pastors are called by God to lead churches and to lead people spiritually, and they quit because of discouragement. My point is, if it can happen to them, it could happen to you. Never underestimate the power of discouragement. It's the thought that you have, that you play in your mind over and over. Remember what they said? They said, we can't even stack bricks. We're supposed to be building a wall. That's all we do. If we can't stack bricks, what are we going to do? And so they get discouraged and they end up talking themselves out of it. And so Nehemiah, once again, he's got to make a decision. What am I going to do? They're saying stuff about me. They're saying that we're, we're building a terrible wall here. Small animals could knock it over. What am I going to do? So here he is and he's building the wall. Sanballat says all of this stuff in the in the ears pitch of all the people that are around him. Here's a good lesson. Now, if you catch what I'm about to tell you, this could potentially change your life and it will usher peace into your world. He hears all the insults that they're saying and what he does not do is turn around and say, who made you Lord of the bricks? When, when, where's your accreditation? What do you know about brick walls? This is a great looking brick wall, right? Does he engage with him? No, no, no. You don't read anything like that. In fact, here's something that's very interesting. The only conversation he has is with God. He stands here and he's working and he hears everything, all the negative opinions, all the thoughts, and he turns to God. And this is the prayer he prays. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised, turn back their taunt upon their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. In other words, God, I know you can hear everything that they're saying about us right now. And they're insulting us and they're attacking us verbally. But I'm not really going to speak to them. I'm just going to speak to you. And God, if you deal with them, I'll keep building everything you told me to build. If you could learn that one lesson, it would bring peace into your life. Because you don't need to address every single problem that crops up in life. In fact, one of the best things that you could do is just take it to God and keep building. You with me? All right, I gotta move because I can see what's happening with that clock at the back that I hate. <laughs> Level three, I'm gonna be chapter four, verse seven to nine. Here's what it says. But when Sambella and Tobiah 
uh, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that there was a repairing of the walls uh, of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry because they saw them succeeding and actually doing well, which means that they were probably doing well the whole time. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. There was a threat that there was going to be a war. And when there's a threat that there's going to be a war, uh, you, you, you can't just ignore that. And so the third level of opposition that you may encounter is distraction. It's amazing what, God will, what the devil will blow up in your life so that you turn your attention from the work God gave you to deal with the problem that seems most pressing. And they had a plan to deal with it. In fact, this is how they did it. It says that each of the builders had his, a sword strapped to his side whilst he built. So with one hand, they're carrying bricks. And with the other hand, it's ready on their sword. So they know that they've got to prepare and do something. They can't just ignore this. There is a threat of war in the air. But did they turn their entire focus to this potential war, this battle, this, this issue that could be in their, happening in their lives? Did they give it all the attention and all of their focus and become totally consumed with what could happen? Oh boy, no, I didn't do that at all. They said, we're going to keep building. We're going to build, but we're going to be prepared. We're going to be ready. Uh, this, this, this was really just a threat. Remember, it's just a threat, which was a distraction. You know how the devil issues threats? He does them with sentences like this, but what if? That's how he issues threats. But what if? And fill in the blank with the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. See, God communicates in dreams and visions. Well, the devil's pretty good at doing it too. That's what I've discovered. And he was happy to show you your demise in 4K resolution so that you can watch it, play it over and over again. So you start to build what God called you to build. But in your mind, you start to imagine what it could look like if you failed. What would it look like if people discovered who you really were? What if they discovered that, that you, you're not perfect? And we already know you're not perfect, right? But, but in your mind, that might be important to you. See, what I'm saying is you, you, you got to prepare for the battle that you sometimes, you know what's coming. What did they do? Well, they built, but they still had a sword. Now, this next part is very important for you. Sometimes people are going to come and bring opposition. You're meant to have your sword strapped to your side. This is not where this message is going. I am not suggesting that you kill people that disagree with you, all right? Because in the state of Victoria, uh, we have laws against that. It's actually a really bad crime to, to murder. Right, okay, so, so, so we know that that's bad, right? So that's not what I'm talking about. But here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. The Bible says that this word here, this is the sword of the Spirit. And I'm suggesting to you that this sword should always be close by. That you should become very familiar with what God has given to you because there are a, a whole heap of promises in here that help you withstand the pressure of opposition. But if you don't know what's in this book, then you may struggle when the time comes. 
You've got to start to become familiar with what you read in here so that when there's a battle and it actually happens, it's close at hand. You've got to start to read this thing. Listen, we live in a day and an age where information is unbelievably accessible and yet we are becoming so biblically illiterate. And I, I love that you hear and you're listening to the things that I say, but I say, don't just take my word for it because you're just gonna live through my revelation. Why don't you get some yourself? And I put it out there kind of as a challenge to read the Word of God because God has made me promises. God will make you some promises. But when you get in this thing and it's close at hand, that when the attack comes, you need a scripture. The devil's going to say something that's going to destroy your mental health or destroy some of the, the peace that's in your world. And you say, wait a minute, I don't even think that that's true. God never said he'd do that. In fact, God said he's always for me. And you told me that when I did that thing, that God is going to walk away from me because I made a mistake. But that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that when I make a mistake, that God is with me. And if he's with me, who could dare be against me? And devil, it kind of feels like you're against me, but I'm not too worried about you because God is bigger than you. He's He's more mighty than you. He's more powerful than you. And I'm not even going to listen to you anymore. I'm just going to listen to the encouraging voice of my God who guides me and leads me and directs the path that I choose and guides my foot and make, and, and, and make sure that my foot doesn't slip. That's, that's what I'm going to do. But you don't have that if you don't have the sword close at hand. All right, number four. Chapter six, verses one to three, it says this. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, and I want you to remember that name. It says, And the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time we had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakaferim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? It says, and they sent to him four times in this way. And he answered them the same way every time. See, he knew that one of the reasons that they wanted to meet with him was because they were going to do him harm. He understood that. Here's the fourth one that happens. He will disrupt you. Did I give you number three? I did. Just wanted to make sure. Number four, disruption. Be careful of the soul-sucking force of reasonableness. Be careful. Because there are times when people will try to talk you out of doing what God's called you to do and they sound so reasonable. Like they're trying to help you, but they don't want to see you succeed. You've got to be discerning about who, whose opinions and whose voice you're listening into. See, if the only way to make peace with the people in your life is to give up what God's called you to do, maybe it's time to start getting around other people. And you say, well, I mean, I'm a Christian, right? So I should probably have good relationships with everyone. I don't know where you got that idea from. The Bible says, hey, if possible, be at peace with everyone. But if that peace comes at the cost of giving up what God's called you to do, and you know He's called you to do it, and the only way to get peace in that relationship is to quit God, I would suggest to you, just get other people around you. Because it's not worth quitting what God called you to do so that you can please everyone in the room. 
You know, you, 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 if you're trying to please everyone in life, not even they all agree. And a recipe for disaster is to please everyone when they can't agree. You're going to split yourself multiple ways. You know what? You are designed, created, and made to please an audience of one. So what you should do is get your order right and say, God, I'm here to serve you. And I refuse in this season to be disrupted and pulled away and making peace with everyone while walking away from everything that you've called me to do. Number four, disrupt. Number five, this is the last one. It says this, I'm actually going to start a verse earlier than what you've got up there, but it says this, In the same way Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant with me, or to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations and Geshem, remember I told you to remember that name, Geshem, the Arab who hates the Jewish people and does not like Nehemiah. It is reported among the people that hate you and the people that have also tried to do everything that they can to stop you. It's reported among them that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And this is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, which they wrote, they wrote the reports and then they told them that there are reports that exist that say bad things about you. Yes, you wrote them. They started the gossip, they started the rumour and then they told them that there was a gossip and there was rumour and they started the whole thing. And it says, there are reports that you wish to become their king and you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah and now the king will hear of these reports. So now again, come, 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 come. Come, let us take counsel together. Verse eight, it says, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind, you crazy, crazy person. He says, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen our hands. Here's the fifth level that you might get. Fifth level of opposition is to discredit you. And this is when the rumour starts to circulate out amongst other people. So if you are being discredited, it's an attempt to try to limit your opportunity and destroy your influence so that what God's called you to do can't actually ever get up and, and running. What we're talking about here is gossip. He's saying, hey, you're rebelling. Everyone's talking about it. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard people say, do you know what everyone's saying? Let me give you a little clue tonight. Whenever anybody says to you, do you know what everyone is saying? It's not everyone. It's about two people that have said something in the last few days. And the person that told you had two conversations over a couple of days with different people. They said it to them. And now the person that's telling you is saying that everyone's saying it. It's, it's two people, everyone. Two people, three max. And they say, everyone's saying it. You know, when everybody tells me, do you know what everyone's saying? I'm like, shh, stop. Who's everyone? They're like, well, it's one, actually one guy that said this. Oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. I get it. Right. So you had one chat. Now it's everyone. I never listened to that. And one of the reasons why I don't listen to it is because I know when I'm doing what God's called me to do, that even if there are two or three people, I, I, I don't have to deal with it. And neither did Nehemiah. You know what Nehemiah did? He just ignored it. What a, what a brilliant strategy. I could turn my attention and focus to this issue. I could give away my work on the wall. Nehemiah would have done. Given away the work just to, 
to make sure that everyone was pleased. He, he could have left at that moment, gone and visited, visited Artaxerxes and said, Artaxerxes, you might be hearing some rumors. Artaxerxes would be like, what rumors? We haven't heard anything, right? Uh, oh, oh, okay. It, it was a big trip, big journey to go see the king. But he didn't do any of that. He said, you know what? I've got a job to do. And I refuse to give it up because you're trying to pull me away from my focus. I feel like there are so many people that God has called to do things in life, but they're being pulled away. You're, you're experiencing one of five potential levels of opposition. It's disempowering you. It's discouraging you. It's distracting you. It's disrupting you. It's discrediting you. I'm going to finish off with just telling you a couple of things about God. I'm going to do this real quick. You know what? For everything that the devil tries to do in your life, God has accounted for it. See, the devil would try to disempower you, but God will only empower you. You'll see it over and over again. The devil would discourage you, but God will give you courage. The devil would distract you, but God will call you. The devil would disrupt you, but God will bless the work of your hands. The devil would discredit you, but God will elevate you when you are humble before Him and say, I need your help. And the Scriptures say, if you humble yourself before God at the right time, He will exalt you. And so sometimes we realise we don't need to give all of our problems our focus we don't need to look at all of those and get distracted and pulled away from building what God's called us to build. Sometimes you just got to stay focused and not get suckered into it. Listen to this. Never let the devil destroy what God is wanting to build in your life. Because if the devil can disrupt the vision that God's given to you, then he's going to try to destroy what God's trying to do through you on planet Earth, both in you and through you. And so... I want you to do this tonight. I want you to stand to Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.